Hey everyone, welcome to the Work Friends Podcast, where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Jen Brubaker, and I'm here with my co-host, work and real friend, Ainsley Stanley. This is the identity crisis season, so find a food truck, go water skiing, do whatever you need to do, and enjoy today's episode. Today on the podcast, we're chatting with Doreen Harvey, who is an independent human resource consultant. She's passionate about helping leaders work effectively with their people. She has a crazy resume working with organizations such as Sanyo Canada Incorporated and Nortel Networks. We recently did a leadership training with her and she has an amazing, amazing plethora of knowledge to share with people. And today we're going to be diving into imposter syndrome. How does that affect our identity and how does faith play into all of that? It's an awesome conversation. We know you'll learn a lot. Enjoy. Well, here's your official welcome to the Work Friends podcast. Yay. We are Thank you so, so much. From our first Learning Circles training, I mean, Jen and I meet like a couple times every week and we were like, what are the chances we could get this girl on the podcast? And then the more we had things, we're like, this is so perfect. So we we have been so excited and we've been like putting out little feelers. People like, hey, Doreen's coming on the podcast. So we are really wow. excited about that. Well, thank you. I'm I'm so delighted to have been invited. It's so, so nice of you to reach out to me, especially on this topic. Mm. Yeah, I think it'll be good. Uh, to start off, we like to do some little fun facts. And so just some few things to to get to know Doreen as the human, not necessarily the HR consultant. So, um, okay, few few fun facts. We'll just throw them to you. You can answer them. Uh, first of all, are you a morning or a night person? I'm definitely a night person. I'm the last to go to bed. And I, I think with the pandemic, it's gotten worse because I, I'm looking for time alone. <laughs> So I, uh, I'm definitely a night person. When I married my husband, he's a morning person and he'd come, you know, he'd get up, have his coffee, come bounding into the room with all that he wanted to uh, do during the day. And I'd be just thinking, oh my goodness, like it's nine <laughs> o'clock, I'm not awake yet. So yeah, definitely a night person. That's great. Um, if you had a free day, how would be your ideal way to spend it? I would read in the morning I'd have I'd have a lovely quiet time outside with my cup of tea reading I'd take a walk with my dog Um, I'd have plans sometime in the afternoon to get together with some special girlfriends and I'd have uh, dinner with my family in the evening and maybe one of the best things I I love to do is to plan uh, future things to do like trips or weekends away with my family so if we topped the day off with uh with some plans for something else to come uh, something to look forward to then that would be that would be a really really good day so I guess some time alone and some time with people so you said you love to kind of plan future things when we can finally travel again where is the first person the first place you'd love to go I'd love to go to France I worked there at missionary years ago I still have a bestie uh, there and um, we're, we're still in touch she is she's uh, from from southern, the south of France and uh, we're good good friends so I would love to make a trip to see her 
So, um, and if I could combine it with a trip to Scotland, that would be the other thing. So I'm actually already thinking about how to do those two things when, when everything is back, uh, mm. back or whatever our new normal is going to be. Next normal. Next normal. I like that. So in this new normal right now with COVID, what has been your favorite COVID-friendly activity to do? Oh, boy. I've, I've gotten so into... Um, audiobooks. I, I, I'll have an audiobook, maybe because again, it gives me some personal space. But when I take the dog for a walk, I'll listen to an audiobook. I'll, when I'm doing stuff in the kitchen, I'm, I'm listening to, like, I listen to books all the time. And I'm, I'm using Hoopla. So I get five free books a month. And I'm always really upset if I've used up those five (laughs) out of another download. Um, but, but that's, that's been something that's really unique to, uh, to COVID where I've, I've really gotten into, yeah, listening to books on, on audio. Yes. I have, I fell in love with audiobooks over the last couple of years, a little bit before COVID, but last year I read more books in a year than I think I have read ever before because I've just really enjoyed wow. audiobooks and can do stuff. So yeah, yeah that's fun. Oh, um, that's cool. Mm-hmm. This is a fun one. What are the three most important things to you? Oh, I hope this doesn't sound trite, but my relationship with God is the most important thing to me. And after that, it's my family. I, I've, you know, I, I'm, I feel so blessed with the family I have. Mm. So they are really very, very important to me. And friendships. Uh, yeah, friendships. I, but I, I also, you know, what's also important to me is feeling like I'm adding value or doing something that's of value. So, so I guess I kind of have one, two, and two that sit on three. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. If you were not working kind of in your position as a consultant, what do you think you'd be doing? Oh, these are so good. I, I'm going to think about this one a little bit more. I see, I feel like my work is ministry. So I would be finding some other way to, to have ministry. I would probably travel more. Yeah, I think, I think, I think I would do that. I would golf. I love to golf. I'm lousy, but I, I, I love golfing. So I would probably do that more. But if I, you know, I, I always wanted to do what I'm doing right now. And I, Mm. for a long time, I felt like I, I, I'm living the dream, um, the dream that I had to, consult for for profit and um, and social profit or Christian organizations and so it's hard to think of anything else because there's never been anything else I've wanted to do since I started doing this Um, but you know because it's so much a a ministry to me I I would have to find some other way to uh, to minister Mm. I would look like but I figure it out That is that is a really good way of saying it. People have asked me uh, that, and uh, I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm doing what I love, and I know that I'm saying this as a 20 something year old. Um, but I think that's a really a really cool gift to be able to say that a few decades um, and being able to say that you love what you do. That's yeah. that's really cool. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Aside from those fun little facts, I feel like we, like we've gotten to know Doreen a little bit better. 
Aside from those lovely fun facts, can you tell us a bit more about who you are and what life looks like for you? I mentioned I'm a, a human resources consultant, and I've been doing that for decades now. I've been working in HR. I, I mentioned that I, I, was, I worked overseas. Um, that was after I graduated with an undergrad in business, and, um, and, and that was wonderful. It was a year and a half with, uh, with a Christian organization, and the head office was in southern France. So I learned, I learned a lot there, but it really was where I kind of dreamt of moving into the HR side because I could see there was a dearth of assistance for, um, for missionary workers. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to consult for for-profit and that work subsidizing the not-for-profit sector? So I kind of tucked it away. I did talk to the uh, general director I worked for, um, and he was very encouraging. But I came home, did my MBA, and then when I did that, finished that, I worked for Nortel Networks. Um, a big telecommunications firm, and and then from there left to uh, take a job as VP of HR with a, a consumer electronics uh, company, and I was there really enjoying that work for about five years. When I left, though, I it was when I decided to to launch my practice. I took six months sabbatical to think about it, and then uh, and then I launched um, this this practice, which I've been doing for over twenty years now as a consultant. And as I said earlier, I love the work, um, but I'm also drawn to leadership training. I've been doing training for years and years as sort of part of, you know, the suite of things that I that I provide uh, uh, besides HR strategy and programs and things. Um, but I, I'm particularly interested in new and emerging leaders and and uh, like the learning circles <laughs> just are really, really set in my sweet, sweet spot. And it's just that's how I met you. Uh, which is which is great. Um, I'm also married, as I mentioned, to Rob, and I'm a mom of a 23 year old daughter and an almost 25 year old son. And uh, all four of us have been living together and working together since the pandemic. Wow! And um, it's been interesting, uh, but mostly great. Actually, we uh, come together for dinner. Uh, there's been great conversations. And I know that because kids grow up so quickly, I know that this time together is fleeting. So I'm I'm grateful for it, and um, and I hope that you know eventually we'll look back uh, on this togetherness with fondness. So far, so good. <laughs> so we'll see how that so how that that goes. I said I wouldn't throw you for too much of a loop, but now I want to ask what what is like the favorite thing about your job or one of that might be hard to yeah um I think I really first of all I think I think good HR uh should be strategic so I I love working with organizations understanding what it is they're trying to do and then aligning HR an an HR strategy and the you know relative programs along the lines of what what they're trying to accomplish as an organization. So I really enjoy that. And I think sometimes that's a bit of an eye-opener for organizations who have thought of HR as a more administrative um, role. But I I, I enjoy helping people to reach their potential because if they can do that, um, then you've got some of the most important cylinders 
firing and and the organization can be propelled into um, you know better services um, greater productivity and 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 it's much more rewarding for people I know that you know the HR the typical HR person and I am too we straddle that you know business versus people advocacy but uh, again that's such a privilege to to come alongside organization to come alongside their people um, to help them grow in a way that um, is healthy um, I've 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 really really enjoyed that but again I I enjoy it most when I can understand what the organization strategy is so that I can be sure I'm well, for want of a better word, scratching the right itch. You know, I'm aligning with what they want to get done. And uh, and they know that I'm cognizant of, you know, the bigger business picture. But yeah, I think, I think that's what I have enjoyed the most. I love that. I love your kind of fresh perspective on HR. It's kind of cool to hear bits and pieces about that. Um, you know, today, moving into kind of our, our discussion, we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome, kind of identity in the workplace, but really thinking about that. And it's funny because I remember hearing about imposter syndrome for the first time a few years ago, and I thought, oh, there is an actual explanation for how I feel and like mm-hmm. things that like petrified me and I couldn't believe that other people felt that way too. Um, so I find it to be a super eye-opening topic um, for everyone. I think I'm learning particularly as a young woman and myself, I've really struggled with that. Um, so just to start off, can you just talk about like how would you define or explain imposter syndrome? Okay, first of all, I want you to know that when I heard the term I'm thinking four or five years ago, I felt exactly the same as you. And I'm, you know, considerably older. And but oh my goodness, there's a name for my thing. Mm. And I'm alone. And what I can tell you is that the stats, the data says that 70% of us experience it. It's not, and it's not just women, it's men and women. Mm-hmm. So we're a company, we're not alone. Um, although we might feel alone when we're feeling it, but um, imposter syndrome is is really really real, and and I define it as the sense that you're not worthy of whatever positive thing might be happening for you right now. Uh, the fear that someone's going to figure out that you really don't know what you're doing, um, that you're not qualified, that you're not as competent as others think you are, that somehow your weaknesses or your shortcomings are going to be found out that that feeling of I have no clue what I'm doing is a bad thing. That Mm -hmm. it makes you an imposter instead of someone who simply needs to figure something out. So, you know, it's that sense that you've been fooling everyone or landed in this particular role, job, whatever, whatever, out of sheer luck or for some other, you know, arbitrary reason. And someone is going to figure it out. Um, It's like that feeling that someone's going to put their hand on your shoulder and say, I got you figured out. You can't fool me. And it's, it's a horrible feeling, Mm. you know, and, and again, it's um, most of us have felt it. Most of us have felt it at some, at some way, and maybe to, you know, different, different degrees, because it can be a little self-doubt to like full-blown anxiety. And apparently the term imposter syndrome was coined in 1978. So it was way before I heard of it. 
and by two American psychologists, uh, Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes. So it's not a new discovery per se, but it's surprising how much more predominant it's become lately and uh, how many, many people can resonate with it. And, and the other thing about the imposter syndrome, it's almost always a lie. It's a lie that is like an earworm, you know, in and in and in your head telling you that you don't know what you're doing. So it's a very, it's a very real syndrome. Hmm. I don't think it takes a genius to connect the dots and say that this affects us, not just our thoughts, but um, our actions, our emotions, how we interact with um, one another, whether that is in the workplace or it's with um, our family or friends, wherever. Can you talk about the implications of imposter syndrome? Yeah, here's the the deal with imposter syndrome. I think at its worst, it can hold you back from moving forward Mm. and be, you know, for some debilitating because it can create this chronic anxiety that you think, you know what, I don't need this. So I am not going to, I'm not going to move forward. Um, it can, you know, be such a pervasive level of self-doubt that in, it impacts, um, it impacts you. And, and for some, you know, uh, it, not only does it, can it get in the way of you trying something new, um, it can, it can cause real pain. Uh, it, it can be a deterrent. Now that's, that's it in the extreme. I think imposter syndrome is, you know, it, it creates a lot of negative self-talk. And uh, it increases the influence of that inner critic. This is why it's so important to recognize it as a syndrome, uh, to recognize that it's actually something you can deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, while, while uh, there's a lot of implications of it, you know, I, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll share some others. Um, it's not a hopeless situation. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you, can, you can cope with it. But in the midst of it, it can be really, it, it can sap your confidence um, keep you staying put instead of trying something new or, or I think again, in an extreme, you can come across as lacking so much confidence that it influences how others might be perceiving you. Like once again, she's saying, no, she doesn't think she can do it or he doesn't think he can do it. So I guess, I guess he can't do it. And that's, you know, that's tragic when, when that happens. Um, and, and I think if there's enough self-doubt, you know, that goes on and on and on, you, you know, I've, I've dealt with self-doubt for, well, most of my working life. And there's been times when I'm thinking, you know, uh, lately, I've had some, you know, wonderful projects. I've had some fantastic feedback from it and whatnot. And I think, wow, I really know my stuff. And I'm, I have this kind of conversation with myself that says, really, it's taking you this long? To if you've got something to offer that you can do this work, like what is mm. that? You know, a long time ago, I I decided that nerves and money, and it's actually when I went to France, nerves and money shouldn't stop you from doing what you feel God wants you to do. So I, I was able to overcome the self doubt, you know, the the nerves, the anxiety around trying something new. But really, when when it's got to end. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to be talking about this because there, you know, we need to deal with this so that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't stop us or hinder us or even, even be, you know, a nuisance 
um, it, it can stop us from leaning in, as, as Cheryl Sandberg uh, would say. You know, instead of saying, well, I, I may not know everything, but I know enough to press on, we might pull back and allow it to defeat us and, and again, not realize our, our potential. And this, this anxiety that it creates is not a good thing. If you're a, if you're a perfectionist and you're dealing with the inner critic or the imposter syndrome, you could end up micromanaging something because goodness, if I don't do it, or if I don't work super, super hard at this, I'm going to fail. Um, so, you know, you can overfunction or because you're so afraid that someone's going to criticize you. You're so afraid that someone's going to put their hand on your shoulder and say, you know what you're doing, you know? Um, and if you're, if you're a quick study um, and maybe more intelligent than, than those around you, for example, or can get things done faster. Um, and so it doesn't take you as long. The imposter syndrome can make you think, well, you're lazy. Like you, you should be working harder. You're not working hard enough. And anytime something does work out again, it was, you just, and for those who uh, work really hard and have success, they think, well, I have to work hard in order to uh, overcome this, this imposter syndrome. So it, it can perpetuate itself um, by not having you assess success as, you know, this is due to your competence. This is due to your experience. This is due to what you bring, your gifts and talents. Uh, instead of thinking it's just a fluke that you you succeeded. And uh, and that's the cycle you want to you want to you want to break. But I also think you know one of the greatest issues can be on your mental health. Mm-hmm. That that the negative self talk is simply destructive, and often it's it's all lies. I say often because in a su- new situation, of course you're going to not know everything. There's going to be things that you need to learn. I mean, you know, if we're going to develop our potential, we we need to be stretched. We need to be trying new things, you know, stuff you don't know already. Uh, that's what keeps it, it, people interested in the role. In fact, when I don't like recruitment, but when I've had to recruit, and I've done it a lot in my career to help organizations, I love bringing in someone who I know doesn't know the job yet, but it's going to be a stretch and they have a lot of the qualities necessary for the job because I want to keep them interested. But if I bring them in and and notice that they're dealing struggling with imposter syndrome, I am going to do everything in my power to help them get over that hump because we've done this on purpose. We know you don't know everything. We'll help you with that. But you've got all the bones to be able to do, you know, what we want you to do. And we want to keep you interested for longer. So, you know, hence the hence the the stretch. But but that constantly, yeah, that constant feeling of I'm not good enough, I don't have what it takes. I mean, that can take its, that can, that can take its toll. Hmm. And so I'm, you know, I'm describing some of the downside, but it was really interesting because when I did a little research, I found that um, there was a study done by Basima Tufik at MIT, where she studied the behaviors that imposters or people who said, I I struggle with imposter syndrome, um, that they exhibited in attempting to, you know, compensate for their self-doubt. And she found that by leaning into their feelings of inadequacy and putting in an effort into communications, imposters actually outperform their non-imposters. So I think, you know, as long as it's not extreme, uh, that sense that I got to work a little harder because I'm, I'm feeling like I, I don't know as much as maybe my colleagues do, which may or may not be true. Likely it isn't true. 
um, that they outperformed. So it's like that feeling, you know, uh, I used to sing a lot. I was in bands and all that kind of stuff and always have butterflies and think, uh, oh, brother, I'm probably going to go out there and fall flat in my face. Again, the little inner critic going and. But that little bit of nervousness, you know, served me well because I went out and gave it all I got or I completely relied on God to do something between what I heard and what everybody else heard. And uh, so I think I think there can be a little bit of an upside. But honestly, if it's perpetuated, it's it's not a good thing. And, you know, let's face it, 70 percent of people suffer from imposter syndrome. The whole, you know, the term imposter means it's in, you're inauthentic. Mm. And I don't know about you, but we all want to be, at least I want to be authentic. I want to be the real me. Uh, and, and so when I'm, when I'm dealing with imposter syndrome, it goes against my whole sense of value mm. around who I am. I want to be authentic. So I'd rather, I guess I'd rather be authentically um, unable to do something than, you know, uh, an inauthentic. I don't want to be an imposter. Mm -hmm. I want to be real Mm -hmm. and honest about what I know and don't know, I guess, way to put it. Wow. Yeah, that's a good thought. I think that authenticity piece, too, is hard. Um, You know, it could almost be its own leadership lesson about being well, right? Like there's even more implications to that. It's almost a fine line, right? Like you said that it's not, this is it. And this is what it looks like. It's like this kind of spectrum of how extreme it is too. Right. So. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause it really can go anywhere from being a little, you know, bothered with a little self doubt, right. To, you know, chronic anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do we address it? How do we kind of combat imposter syndrome? And maybe you can talk about it, you know, from a personal, if I struggle with imposter syndrome and maybe you'll have some, you know, you work within organizations and so you kind of help other people also navigate that too. So yeah, like what do we do to combat that? Well, you know, I, I can I can share what I've done and then maybe give you some tips that I've, you know, picked up along the way. But you know, I think for those of us who have struggled with imposter syndrome, um, any time we've had it is one too many times because it just feels so awful. Um, you feel like a fake and mm-hmm. and you nobody wants to feel that way. And um, so I've probably experienced, well, I know I've experienced too often for, for my liking. And, um, and I, I think figuring out why you might feel the way you do, why you might experience it is not a bad route, at least to drill down enough to figure out where is this coming from? Like, what's the root of this? And I, and, and not that I want to blame family of origin for everything, but often uh, it starts somewhere there where, you know, I mean, I grew up in a a family. Um, My parents were immigrants from Scotland. Uh, Life was not easy and they were hardworking. And my dad eventually, uh, you know, ran his own business with a partner and, and did, and did fine for himself. But um, I, I, I didn't grow up in a, in a home that was, that had a a bent academically. I was the first person to get, and and my, 
I first person to get a degree and both my parents come from huge families, but nobody on either side had ever, ever gone to university, let alone get a master's. And so I often wondered, you know, what don't I know? What, what am I missing? What is something that other people have picked up growing up that I, I didn't get? Now, I, I'm not complaining about how I grew up, but, you know, that I, I would learn a lot by observing and, and, and seeing, you know, how other people did things. Um, and, and it took, and I think, I think this is often the case, you know, it took someone else seeing the potential in me uh, to help me deal with the imposter syndrome. One was a, a, a mentor that I had at Nortel who was just wonderful and said, you know, I can see you in a manager role. You have this. And I thought, wow, this is, this is great. So it's what I wanted, but I wondered, can I get there? Or do I have what it takes and that kind of thing? And then um, when I was in my last job at Nortel, I had a call from um, the former vice president of human resources at Nortel asking me if I'd be interested in a, in a vice president of human resources role at Sanyo Canada. And I thought he was crazy. I thought, there is no way I'm ready for this. And he said, no, you are. I know you're ready. I know you can do this. They have never had HR and, uh, and, and you have green space to build it and do whatever you want, develop the strategy. And, and I went to the interview completely skeptical. I was doing him a favor, but I also thought, well, I want to meet someone. They, they did have someone actually on the interim, but she wasn't an HR person. Anyway, I, I wanted to um, meet this person and, and just find out about the job. And well, I, you know, I ended up getting the role. And um, there were a number of times in there that I thought, I don't, you don't have a clue how to, how to handle it. But I, I did go back to the experience that I'd gained at Nortel. I developed really good relationships with, my, uh, with the executive team and with the, with the staff. It was about 600 employees at the time. And I sort of put one foot in front of the other. And, you know, that was a huge help to me in dealing with the imposter syndrome. And um, yeah, and I think I think um, what I what I learned through that was, you know, if you really don't know how to do something, or you you know, and and this will happen to all of us. You know, we're we're given a project, we're given an assignment, we're given a role, and uh, we don't know we don't know what to do next. Um, as a as a Christian, I go back to God and say, okay, what do I do? What have I got? I go back to the plumb line. I go back to what I know. And there were many, and I say many, situations where I thought, okay, let's just, and, and I remember hearing Henry Blackaby speak, holding up the Bible, and he said, this is the only leadership book you'll ever need. And I remember, you know, I remember that, and I remember applying that. And so in a situation, I would say to myself, okay, what do you know to be true? Like, what are the facts here? What's the truth? And I'd ask God to help me discern what what was happening here. And, uh, and then from there, you know, you do an analysis, you look at options, you know, somehow I'd figure it out, but I was really going on principles of my faith and my values to, to be able to do that. And then God, you know, would, would work through me um, to help me figure it out and, 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 and get through what, what I needed to get through. Um, you know, it's funny how we don't go back and remember those moments where we figured it out and we, we go back to uh, <laughs> dealing with the, uh, with the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And 
I think if you let the imposter syndrome win, and if I had let it win those times, I would mostly have disappointed myself. Mm. And I and I didn't want to do that. And, you know, I thought I'm either going to sink or swim, but I'm determined not to sink. So God is going to help me if this is the role he's given me, if this is the project he's given me, then, he, then he's going to help me. So I think, you know, how do we combat it, you know, more generally? I think we have to recognize it for what it is. It's a lie. It's a series of lies. Um, and and while we, you know, experience it in various degrees, um, and of course, none of us knows everything, uh, the whole sense that you are incompetent or that you're a fake, that's a lie. You know, um, I think I think we need to face it, address it, and let it go. I, I think ignoring it, it has a way of creeping back in. Mm. So I, I think addressing it, saying, you know, who made you vice president of my life? You know, you I, I don't know who hired this imposter syndrome, this this, and it's usually a female voice in my head. You know, just saying, what are you saying? It is like, what is that? What you're telling me isn't true. And and I also think that it's helpful that if you're really getting stuck on it, then share it with a, a trusted advisor, a friend, a mentor, and say, here's the thoughts that are going through my head. What's true about them and what isn't? And and almost always a lot of them, a lot of them uh, aren't true because you don't want that inner critic to factor in to the decisions that you need to make, either about whether to move ahead or how to handle uh, the situation. So, you know, I also think that if you can become more self-aware, you know, what is your personality like? Um, Are you a perfectionist? So is it easy to criticize yourself when you don't get it right? Um, What are your preferences? How do you figure out problems? What works for you? Also, what is life-giving and what takes you to a place of desolation? Because sometimes it's not the inner critic that's speaking, but it's somebody's, some, you know, it's, it's, it's God's spirit or, or saying to you, you don't want to go down this road. It's not for you. And that's not the imposter syndrome. That's just good, good advice. Um, I also think you need to affirm yourself. And I, I started a long time ago, this rainy day file, and I, I still have a, actual hard copy file because I started it long before I was putting everything into electronic files um, and an electronic file, you know, or an email file where I flip in the affirmations or thanks from people, cards, emails that said how, how something, how much something meant to them. And on those less than brave days, I'll haul it out and just mm-hmm. remind myself of the impact that I've had, that what I've been able to do. Um, because I think I think we need to to celebrate our wins and and even even you know our mistakes. I mean, nothing should diminish us because that's just um, not right. I, I I don't know if you you're probably familiar with Brene Brown and and uh, I love her. Well, I like a lot of her books, but um, her book uh, The Gifts of Imperfection. She says that courage, compassion, and connection are the tools we need for the wholehearted journey, you know, which is really the authentically us uh, journey. So having the courage to choose to be compassionate with yourself, to get out those that rainy day file and say, see, you are worthy. You are not to be diminished. You have much to, much to offer, um, I think is important. I mean, heck, we're all going to make mistakes. Mm. They shouldn't, they shouldn't, uh, 
and we can we can embrace those imperfections, but we can't we shouldn't be diminishing ourselves um, in any way. And uh, yeah, I I think we need to face our inner critic, um, and and then say goodbye. Let let her go. If it if it's important for you to kind of drill down why this inner critic, this uh, imposter, it, this person that's that's pushing you into feeling the imposter syndrome, then work with a coach or a counselor to kind of deal with that, so that so that you can really move on and uh, and move ahead with a with a realistic view of your strengths, your gifts, your talents, your experience. You know all the good things that we that we we bring. Don't don't let this inner critic have what I think is way too much airtime uh, to influence you. Mm. So I, I, one other thing too, I think that if we ask ourselves, what would it feel like if I didn't have this inner critic speaking to me? What would, what would, what would it feel like to not have to deal with imposter syndrome? I mean, what it would, what would it feel like to be free from that? Mm. That might be the best motivator of all to To help us deal with it, or recognize it, or you know, work through it in a way that um, it doesn't catch up with us again. So I I like thinking about that. I like thinking about how that can serve me well. Hmm. To, you know, what it would be like to not have to deal with that. I don't know if that helps, but those are those are some thoughts. Um, I am just soaking it in I feel like also because like you mentioned before um we met you through learning circles and so I feel like some of the things that you're talking about I feel like we're getting an inside scoop almost of the behind the scenes thoughts and the things that you and Marla shared um with us during that course but I also appreciate what you said there too because it isn't confined um or based on a certain job or a certain position mm-hmm. or a certain age or a certain season of life, it is really for everyone. Um, yeah. We work with youth and there's youth who listen to this. There's young adults who listen to this. There's um, yeah, people who are uh, middle-aged and people 60 plus who listen to this. And it of like course. what you're saying is true for all. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing those tips because also too, I'm sitting here, it's like, oh, Jen, you don't have to figure out everything mm-hmm. right now at 23, almost 24 years old. It's okay. <laughs> and so oh, that's great. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that because it is actually okay. And to finding our security in Christ. Um, and this lends itself really well into our next question. Um, I would love for you to, yeah, talk a little bit deeper about how faith plays into this. Um, because we are complex beings. We're not just a physical body. We're not just a soul. Um, we're both. So how does faith play into this imposter, imposter syndrome, lies, taking our thoughts captive, all of those things? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I have this running conversation, I think, with God all the time. I'm, I, I feel like I'm constantly talking to him so that when the inner critic comes into my head, it's interrupting this sort of continual dialogue I have. And yet it can be so compelling that I don't recognize it for what it is because um, it is, you know, it is, as I said, it's, it's lies that, that 
somehow we're, we're paying attention to, but you know, in a, in a word, faith pay, plays a huge part of my life. So it impacts everything I do, you know, as a Christ follower, anything that I'm working on is based on those values and how best to serve him. And, you know, what would, how would he have me handle it? How would he have me um, approach an issue, a person, any of that is all, all, it's all based on my faith. I don't, I wouldn't have a, a, a human resource practice if it wasn't for him. He's, I've said this many times, he's my business manager. I feel that he brings the work to me that I'm, I'm supposed to be doing. And so I trust him with that. But what I have learned over the last little while, about a year and a half ago, I finished doing the Ignatian exercises. And I, I, I'm not a Catholic. I attend the meeting house uh, here in Oakville with my husband and kids. But I was intrigued by that practice of, of, of working through the Ignatian exercises. And if there was one thing I learned from that, and it was, it was, a, really, it was a really formative exercise for me. I'm getting off on a bit of a tangent here, but, but okay. the point the point is <laughs> what I learned from that was how deeply and profoundly I'm loved. And I'm thinking you're what age? And, and this has only resonated with you now. I mean, there have been times in my life where I have known Jesus love in, in a tangible way. And he's just been so kind and so caring, especially through some very, very difficult and dark days in my life. And I just knew that how things worked out, that it was his loving care that brought me through it. But it was, it really put a period on the fact that I am cherished and loved by the creator of the universe. I am his daughter. I am a child of the most high God. I am, I am so, so deeply loved by him. And that has made a difference around this whole imposter syndrome thing. Because if I go to that first, you love me. So what about any of this is true? And I know you're gonna, I know you're gonna tell me, you're gonna help me discern it. Um, so that has has played a big part in in just helping to combat the imposter syndrome tremendously and frequently. So when the inner critic or that self-doubt rears its ugly head, if I'm smart and ready. I remind myself that I'm deeply loved and I am cherished by God. And, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, there, there are times when I, I take on an assignment and go, I have no sweet idea how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to trust you're going to help me figure it out. And, and I have that um, plumb line uh, to work with. And it's so much better to use my energies to figure out what I need to do than to have to use the energies to combat that mm. inner critic or that imposter syndrome. Uh, like, let's just deal with the, the, you know, let's use our energies to, to deal with helping this client or helping this person or, you know, helping this situation. Um, because that, that's where, that's where I want to be putting my energy. So I pray, mm. I pray. And, uh, and I believe that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and nothing is impossible with him. And if he's called us to do the work that is set before us, he will help us do it. And sometimes all we know is the next thing to do mm-hmm. and then the next thing and then the next thing. And that's how we, that's how we get through a challenge that we've never faced before, whether it's work-related or personally. 
So, yeah, so God, and God's also showed me who I am. I mean, I'm, I'm a child of God, but I'm also Doreen, um, just like you're also Ainsley and Jen. We are so uniquely created, and, um, and he's the best one to show us who we are. And I think, mm. you know, self-awareness that is informed by God is the wisest <laughs> way to know who we are and, uh, and can help us in, in um, dealing with, you know, these lies that, that come our way and uh, really just trying to trip us up mm-hmm. and keep us from moving forward. So I, I, I hope that makes sense and that it's clear enough. Absolutely. I'm happy to expand on anything there, but um, it's simple and yet it's so complex because who can really understand God's love for us? But it's there. <laughs> And it's real. Wow. You are so wise. I'm like sitting here just thinking like, wow, you have a great, great deal of wisdom. So thank you for sharing it with us. Well, you've just taken care of my imposter syndrome today. (laughs) Let me affirm you. (laughs) Oh, that's so nice to hear. That's Mm. great. Well, one one question, last question we love to ask this to everybody. It's not necessarily related to imposter syndrome, but my favorite question to ask people, and that's what is the best piece of advice you've been given? Now, I did think about this question, and I couldn't reduce it to one, you know, because if you give me a topic, then there's a little bit of advice there. If you give me another topic, there's another. But, but I think in life, I I think one good piece of advice that I received was to stay curious about everything. Mm -hmm. Be your authentic self. Always be true to who you are. You know, that's, that's where you want to come back to. So stay curious and be, and be true to who you are. I think another um, good piece of advice is don't be afraid to ask for help. Asking for help is not a sign of weakness. Um, it's, it's a sign that we are willing to collaborate with other people that, um, we want to learn from other people, you know, it's a way to use our curiosity again. Um, and I think some of us, um, can feel like we just have to get on with it and figure it out on our own. And, uh, and it's okay. We're not imposters when we ask for help, but it's okay to, uh, ask for help and, I also um, have realized um, in the last little while that, you know, we're all on a journey of transformation. We all, all in, and you want to be, you want to be constantly learning about, about a lot of things. And when challenges come along, we tend to, at least I've had, I've had a few challenges lately. Um, there's been some serious things that uh, happened to, to my husband. Um, he was a, uh, brutally attacked uh, at the end of March, and so we've had to uh, we've had to um, navigate our way through through that, and we'll eventually have a you know court case and whatnot. So I've been holding gratitude very very closely as he's you know basically a hundred percent. And there was a time where I didn't know if he'd ever come home again. Um, while at the same time dealing with the issues, and so I was thinking, you know, boy, what a paradox to be holding gratitude and I guess anxiety uh, at the same time, but you know, it's just like God. Mm -hmm. And I was praying and I thought, Lord, just help me get past this. 
And I heard, you know, the little voice in my head saying, you don't want to get past it. And I would say the same thing about imposter syndrome. You don't want to get past it because when we pass something, there's a chance it's going to catch up with us eventually. and We're going to have to deal with it. Hmm. What I heard was you want to get through it. And I'm here to help you get through it. And I felt way more hopeful then. I thought, you're right, because if I get through it, I don't have to be afraid of it anymore. I will have faced it. I will have dissected it. I will have figured out uh, how to um, how to cope with this and beyond that. And I will I will get through it to the other side. So um, that would be my advice to someone when you're when you're when you're struggling with challenges. Um, find a way to get through it with God's help. And uh, and then you won't have to deal with it again. Uh, not in the same way. It's mm-hmm. not going to catch up with you and, and bite you in the butt. It will, uh, <laughs> you'll be looking at it in the rear view mirror, like getting through a storm. Just set the car straight and keep driving mm. and see the storm behind you. Mm. Yeah. Again, I'm just soaking it all in. Doreen, thank you so much. This has been a real honor and a real gift to have you join us again when we were Ainsley and I were in learning circles and we would chat afterwards with one of our friends, Natalie, to kind of talk about what we were um, learning and taking away from it and all these things. Ainsley and I would sometimes say, do you think that we could get Doreen on the on the podcast? Do you think she'd say yes? I don't know. We'll see. So having you here has been an absolute gift. Um, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom about imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome, what that actually is, and also to that Jesus is in it. Um, yeah. So thank you. Oh, listen, it has been my privilege. I was so thrilled that you asked. So it's really been fun and really, again, my my privilege. So thank you and pleasure. So thank you so, so much. And God bless you both. Everything that you're doing. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We have more amazing conversations like this coming up that you will not want to miss. So make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to so that you never miss a Monday episode. Also, if you want to follow us on Instagram or Facebook, you can find us at Just Work Friends and stay tuned for everything that's going on. And if you're enjoying the podcast, feel free to give us a review. We would really appreciate it. And then we know you guys are enjoying it. So until next time, happy Monday. Happy week. Happy week. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. That's a new one. I don't know where it came from. Happy week.